This is a dialogue from the records of Dongshan. Dongshan asked the monk, where have you been? The monk said, walking in the mountain. Dongshan said, did you reach the peak? The monk said, I reached it. Dongshan said, were there people there? And the monk said, there weren't any people there. Dongshan then said, in that case, you did not reach the peak. The monk said, if I haven't been to the peak, how would I know there are no people there? Dongshan said, why didn't you stay there? The monk said, I would stay there, but there's someone in India who would disapprove. Good afternoon. It's good to continue with you, those who have left after the great escape. We shrunk somehow. We have to think about that. What does that mean? I think it's teaching us something. We have to figure out what. So one of the many challenges of embracing a spiritual path is that it, it moves in a radically different direction than what we are conventionally used to. From a very young age, we are taught that a successful and fulfilling life lies in a movement towards some sort of accumulation. Whether it's assets, money, education, power, status, the basic premise of this conventional way of thinking is that we begin our journey in life at a point of deficit or lack, and we need to build it up over time. It affects the way we view ourselves, the way we view each other, and it is at the heart of our poverty mind. So being so accustomed to this way of thinking we inevitably drag it into our spiritual practice and may view enlightenment as another achievement to accumulate and use it to raise our self-worth. And this is what we need to recognize and work with as we deepen our practice. In the chapter about right effort, Suzuki Roshi wrote, the most important point of our practice is to have right or perfect effort. Right effort directed at the right, in the right direction is necessary. If your effort is headed in the wrong direction, especially if you are not aware of this, it is deluded effort. Our effort in our practice should be directed from achievement to non-achievement. From achievement to non-achievement. And it is radical to flip it up, to change it, because we are definitely not taught to think this way. We're also not supported by our society to think this way. So in essence, the deepening process in practice is a journey back to our original state of being, which is simple, uncontrived, and unified at its core. This process involves the shedding of any extras we have accumulated so far and a shift from the possessiveness of having 
to the freedom of simply being. The analogy of ascending the mountain is is very fitting metaphor, as we have talked about a couple of weeks ago, fitting metaphor to the part of the process that has to do with realization of unity. The further up we go, the more quiet it gets. The air becomes cleaner, the view becomes more expansive, and the further away we get from anyone else, or to be more accurate, the further away we get from our conventional way of seeing others. And this is the journey of our zazen. If you've been practicing for a while, you probably have experienced some loosening of the mind's obsession with accumulation, some expansion beyond thought, and some sense of being at ease with nothing. I think it's almost astonishing to, to, to see that it's possible to, to be okay, to be content with things as they are, with ourselves as we are. Not looking forward to anything, not looking back at what we have done so far, just being. Only this. And it's enough. The most vital part of Zen practice is Zazen, of course, which does not require anything other than the way we are at any given moment. There's no need to bring anything special to the sitting, and we don't need to become anyone other than what we already are. And so we sit with nothing. And we sit and we realize that tremendous power and contentment that comes from being nobody special. But this too may feel as if we have reached some goal when we experience that. So it may feel as if we arrived at some finality up the top of the mountain. In this dialogue, Dongshan happened to cross paths with a monk who was probably away from the monastery for a while. And so he asked him, where have you been? And the monk said, walking in the mountain. Dongchan said, did you reach the peak? I reached it. Were there any people there? There weren't any people. And Dongchan said, in that case, you did not reach the peak. What is enlightenment? It's an important question. And we should raise it. But when we read or talk about it, we formulate an idea of it and move further away from what this word is referring to. It is not about a thing, a place, a person, yet it, is, it can be dynamically expressed, dynamically expressed everywhere, through everything, and by every person. What is known as Kensho or a sudden realization experience is a gateway to a living reality of an enlightened being. But it's definitely not a conclusion or final goal to be reached. Now, tradition has many koans that deal directly with this issue since the, since the moment of realization, at the moment of realization, it can feel 
as if from that point on, we will know, there will be no more complications. We won't have to deal with all kinds of entanglements. And so being up at top of the mountain can become, we can become dazzled by the beauty and serenity of the experience that, to an extent of forgetting about the rest of the world. Why bother? If this feels so good, so unified, so connected. And that's going to be a shame if this is if this is where our practice leads to, that will be a shame. A monk once asked Gohaku, when a white crane stands upon a withered pine, then what? Gohaku said, on the ground below, it's a shame. Kensho is a vital experience on the path, but ultimately it is a stage, only a stage that needs to be forgotten so we can keep moving and expanding further. And it is not uncommon to have a deep and very real experience of body and mind dropping away, awakened to the realization of all things as one, and then not knowing how to live it, how to assimilate it, to our lives, especially when it comes to dealing with other people, everyday challenges. Then we can become even more discontent because the experience may be real, but the discrepancy is also real. So, a few weeks back at the Sishin, if you remember, those of you who were there, I talked about Dongshan and the last part of the Taisho. I mentioned Dongshan's five ranks. I only touched on it and I did promise to go back to it and today's the day. So the progress in practice has been broken down to stages by different Zen masters. And within the two schools of Zen, Linji described it as four stages, and Dongshan described it in five stages, known as Dongshan's five ranks. Please don't get caught up in the word rank. It may not be the best way to translate it, but that's the way it's translated. And this is illustrating a gradual process of dissolving the fixed self into the totality of all phenomena. And Dongshan illustrated each stage by using a verse. You can shift. So the first one is the relative within the absolute. Light within darkness, form within formlessness. In the poem, in the third watch of the night, before the moon appears, no wonder when we meet, there is no recognition. Still cherished in my heart is the beauty of earlier days. 
So leading up to this stage, the arising bodhicitta, the way-seeking mind, is vibrant. And it's directing the attention inwardly to study the movement of mind. By looking directly to the self, we take on the responsibility to examine habitual patterns of thought and behavior. So we can recognize their falsehood and expand to a less known yet much larger sense of self. When we realize that the self is no more than a thought, there is a natural disintegration of our story-based identity, which follows by an experience of expansion. The self is seen as the foreground within the background, the somethingness within the nothingness. No wonder when we meet, there is no recognition. When we encounter the absolute, we have no definition for it. We can't box it, and we don't recognize it in a conventional way. We are staring at total darkness. No outline can be seen. All appearances hanging in the vast and open sky. Next line. Still cherished in my heart is the beauty of earlier days. Yet, lingering in the background are old memories and images of familiar sense of self that still has momentum from the many years we have been identified with it. And due to the power of karma, which should not be underestimated even after encountering the absolute, even after having deep experiences of realization, there is still conditioning, there is still the karma. In other words, it does not delete karma. So the third watch back in those days in China, the, the night was divided to five segments of two hours each. And the third watch was the middle segment from midnight until 2 a.m. Midnight is also the time of change between days. This is also to, this is to signify that while everything is constantly changing, each moment is timeless, and it includes the before and after. It is a time before the maturation of awakening, before the sun rises. It is an essential point to pass through, yet it must continue ahead, or we as practitioners must forge forward. Hakuin commented on this stage, saying, on this rank, saying, the apparent within the real denotes the rank of the absolute, the rank in which one experiences the great death, shouts, Ka! seize the way, and enter into the principle. When the true practitioner suddenly bursts through into this rank, the empty sky vanishes and the iron mountain crumbles. Above, there is no tile to cover his head. Below, there is not an inch of ground for him to stand on. The delusive passions are non-existent. Enlightenment is non-existent. Samsara is non-existent. Nirvana is non-existent. This is the state of totality, a total empty solidity, without sound and without order, like a bottomless clear pool. It is as if every flake of cloud has been wiped from the vast sky. 
Too often the disciple, considering that his attainment of this rank is the end of the great matter and his discernment of the Buddha way complete, clings to it, clings to it to the death and will not let go of it. Such as this is called stagnant water. In other words, we must continue. Very important that no matter what we experience, we continue. And that, that is always relevant, whether we feel encouraged or feel discouraged, whether we feel that we are stagnating or breaking through. It actually doesn't matter much. What matters most is that we continue. Because if we don't continue, whatever the experience may be, becomes brick and mortar for the self to build itself up. Whether, I'm, whether I think I'm deluded or realized, whether I think I am getting somewhere or getting nowhere, that is the brick and mortar of the self which means it has to be forgotten and we have to move forward. So therefore, as long as he remains in this hiding place of quietude and passivity, inside and outside are transparent and his understanding perfectly clear, the moment his bright inside comes into contact with differentiations defiling conditions of turmoil and confusion, agitation and vexation, love and hate, he will find himself utterly helpless before them. And all the miseries of existence will press in upon him. There's no escape. The second one, second stage, the absolute within the relative. Dark within light. The verse. The dawn has come to the surprise of an old woman, and she chances upon an antique mirror in which she sees, she sees clearly and distinctly her own face, so different from all the images she had formed of herself. From now on, she will no longer ignore her own head and grasp at its mere shadow. John Wood describes this stage as a centripetal movement towards the center. At this point, one realizes the vastness of reality from within the midst of the relative and moves towards the core or the true self. Hagwin commented, saying that at this point, one is neither conversant with deportment of the bodhisattva, nor does he understand the causal conditions for a Buddha land. Although he has a clear understanding of the universal and true wisdom, he cannot cause it to shine forth marvelous wisdom that comprehends the unobstructed interpretations of the manifold dharmas. Understanding yet having difficulty explaining, expressing. So having an understanding by experience is essential. And then of course, it's also essential to know what to do with it, to know how to manifest, how to actualize the fundamental point. 
And then he says, having been enlightened in the second stage, a person becomes what he really is, a true person, a free person, a host and a prince. He's now definitely in the personality stage and may be called a nominal person. So the previous stage can be equated to a drop of water being absorbed into the entire ocean. And this stage can be equated to the recognition that the entire ocean is absorbed into a single drop of water. So seeing yourself is every, in everyone you meet, then seeing everyone as none other than an expanded and all-encompassing version of you, or extension of you. A recognition of the self as the big eye. The all-inclusive I. No inside, no outside. William Blake said, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Dongshan's verse, he says, the old woman sees her true face in an ancient mirror, reflecting our timeless and true nature, so different from all images she had formed of herself. It is very different than what we can ever imagine. From now on, she will no longer ignore her own head and grasp at its mere shadow. To our ego-based self, awakening is an idea or of a final destination and a magical prize that we will be rewarded with at some point at some di in the distant future. But in reality, it is nothing like what we imagine since it cannot be portrayed by any means. Anything we imagine is no more than mere shadows. Thoughts about delusion and thoughts about realization are like dark and light clouds in the mind. Seeing them pass by, we practice bearing witness, seeing it for what it is. Without following, we're going nowhere and are able to develop a deep state of equanimity. With all of it and about all of it, having great moments of realization, and long, long parts of the journey which seem as if we are getting nowhere. And equanimity is about all of it. Hakuin said, the Bodhisattva of superior capacity invariably leads his life, his daily life in the realm of the six dusts, the six senses, the realm of all kinds of ever-changing differentiation. All the myriad phenomena, that includes everything, by the way, I have to stop here and say, there is nothing, nothing that this does not include. Nothing. The state of our lives, the state of our country, the state of the world, other people with all their opinions, all the atrocities that we commit as human beings, all of it is included here. 
all the myriad phenomena before his eyes, the old and the young, the honorable, second, the honorable and the base, the plants, trees, mountains, and rivers, he regards as his own original, true, and pure aspect. It is just like looking into a bright mirror and seeing his own face in it. If he continues for a long time to observe everything everywhere with this radiant insight, all appearances of themselves become the jeweled mirror of his own house. And he becomes the jeweled mirror of their houses as well. It's hard to imagine because it's impossible to imagine. Because he goes against everything we can think about. He goes in exactly the opposite direction from our thinking mind or the way our thinking mind operates. So in the first two stages, Dongshan refers to the absolute and relative as mutually inclusive as in form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. In the third and fourth stages, it treats them as mutually exclusive, as in emptiness is emptiness and form is form. This is not to say that Dongshan is creating a duality. It is only another way to say that each aspect of reality already contains the other aspect within itself. Like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. Oh, as Dogen said, when life comes, only life. When death comes, only death. So the third one. Coming from within the absolute, only dog. And the verse. In a cloud of dust, he follows a secret road beyond the reach of dust. He excels in keeping unsaid things tabooed at present. Yet he says more than the most eloquent tongues of the past. So during Sashins, right, if we go back to that, our intention is to put aside the differences, practice unity, turn towards the realm of the absolute, and follow a secret road beyond the reach of dust. And the dust, referring to all phenomena that appears in the world, subsists for a while and then vanishes. Or in other words, everything. And when casting off all phenomena, and there is nothing but total darkness that unifies the entire universe, there is only an experience. But who is experiencing what? And how can such an experience be conveyed? How can words capture total silence, stillness? It cannot be depicted. It cannot be drawn. And this is why Zen always discourages practitioners from sharing any practice-related experiences with other people. When we use words to describe an experience of totality beyond parameters, 
it becomes a thing that has distinct parameters and it loses its immense power and becomes lifeless. Not just that the other person will not understand, we actually can lose our trust in it. Because it's not just the other person hearing what we're trying to say. We hear what we're saying as well. And then we may doubt the experience. Having difficulty explaining it, we may doubt our own experiences. Better to leave it alone. In fact, better to allow the experience to be, to manifest in our lives rather than in our, through our words. It'll do a much better job appearing in our everyday life than passing through the, the mind. This is why in the Jewish tradition, the word God should not be uttered. Not because anything will happen if you say God. It's just that something beautiful will become a thing. And we know what we do with things. Even the Tao Te Ching, the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao. The way that can be thought of is not the way. He excels in keeping unsaid things tabooed at present, yet he says more than the most eloquent tongues of the past. An old master said, he speaks in silence. In speech, you hear it silence. So let your life speak. Hakuin said, in this rank, the Mahayana Bodhisattva does not remain in the state of attainment that he has realized from but from the midst of the sea of effortlessness, he lets his great uncaused compassion shine forth. Standing upon the four pure great universal vows, these are the four vows, the Bodhisattva vows, he lashes forward the Dharma wheel of seeking body above and saving sentient beings below. This is where above and below unite. Going up the mountain, going down the mountain. Staying connected, yet not remaining there. Bringing it down, sharing it, living it. Allowing it to be shared. This is the so-called coming from within, the going to, the going to within the coming from. So coming from within the going to and the going to within the coming from. Moreover, he must know the moment of meeting the paired opposites, brightness and darkness. We chant it, right? We chant it on a regular basis. The integration, the unification of the absolute and the relative, sameness and differences. You know, in, in our chants, we, we, we can chant and then get to a point of, well, I'm just going to chant it again because this is what everybody's doing and it's part of the job description of being a practitioner. Or we can chant again and again as if never before 
and allow the words to awaken something. You know, we say so often, we say absolute and relative, that it becomes a thing. Yeah, I know the absolute, I get it, I know what that means, I know what the relative means. Watch out, be careful. Be careful. The fourth one, arrival at mutual integration. Only light. When two blades cross points, there is no need to withdraw. The master swordsman is like the lotus blooming in the fire. Such a person has in and of himself a heaven-soaring spirit. At this stage, one is able to experience the unity of the absolute and the relative without any need to differentiate, categorize, or withdraw and choose a side. As we chant, like two arrows meeting in midair. A perfect dynamic skillfulness in functioning. Arriving at mutual integration, one can bear witness to suffering and hardship with an embracing mind and a loving heart. Since at this stage, there is no more gap, and samsara is none other than nirvana, the lotus of awakening flowers and thrives in the midst of madness we experience in the world around us. Rather than feeling like we have to escape it, we find it in the midst of chaos, aggression, madness, suffering. There's no need to withdraw. There's no need to choose a side. Because it's, because it's all here. Because it's always been unified. The choosing sides is the way we come in to the practice. And if we keep practicing little by little, both sides are realized as one. All sides are realized as one. It's radical, it's total, and it's complete in and of itself. The master swordsman. If you remember from Shinjin Mei, a state of choiceless awareness. That's what that means. A state of choiceless awareness. Not mean we don't make choices. But with each choice, there is that constant realization that everything and everyone is always there. So where else can we go? Hakuin says, in this rank, the bodhisattva of unshakable spirit turns the Dharma wheel of non-duality, of brightness and darkness. He stands in the midst of filth, of the filth of the world, 
his head covered with dust and his face streaked with dirt. He moves through the confusion of sound and sensual pleasures, buffeted this way and buffeted that way. He's like the fire-blooming lotus that on encountering the flames becomes still brighter in color and purer in fragrance. So not only that he does not get feel defeated by that, he actually becomes brighter, more translucent in the midst of chaos and suffering. And he says he enters the marketplace with empty hands, yet others receive benefits from him. This is what is called to be on the road, yet not have left the house. To have left the house yet not be on the road. Just one. Is he an ordinary person? Is he a sage? Still, he must not consider this stage to be final resting place. Therefore, it is said, such a person has in and of himself a heaven-soaring spirit. What must he do in the end? The fifth stage. Unity attained. This is what Dogen would say. No trace of realization remains and this no trace continues endlessly. And the verse says, Lo, he has arrived at supreme unity beyond the is and is not. Who dares to follow the rhymes of his poetry? Let others aspire to the extraordinary. He is happy to return home and sit amidst ashes. This is the stage of complete integration. Through a long and exhaustive journey, the Buddha Dharma is studied, absorbed, and embodied so deeply to a point that it can be forgotten and it can manifest and actualize freely in everyday life of this, in this impermanent skin, skin bag body and this fragile form that we occupy. This is a point of total absorption where nobody is there to merge and nothing is there to harmonize with. Is that not right effort? When we no longer compare, judge, dissect, or long for anything else to happen, enlightenment is found in the midst of ashes, exactly where one is. At that point, compassion and wisdom are realized as non-dual and the practitioner's life becomes a vehicle for goodness, a life of service to others, which is the way our practice continues endlessly. As from the Shinjin Mei, it is clear as vast space, nothing missing, nothing extra. If you choose or reject, you cannot see things as they are outside. Do not get tangled in things 
inside to not get lost in emptiness. Be still and become one and confusion stops by itself. Two exist because of one. Do not even keep the one. Two exist because of one. Do not even keep the one. So on a fundamental level, this journey has no final destination. There is no departure or arrival. However, there are incremental stages of evolution which a practitioner needs to pass through, acknowledge, forget about, and continue endlessly. Our true nature is nothing but a seamless continuation with no beginning and no end. And aligning the body and mind with this dynamic continuity is what we call enlightenment, or what it refers to. So at the end of this dialogue I brought up at the beginning of today's Teisho, the monk said, if I haven't been to the peak, how would I know there are no people there? And Dongshan said, why didn't you stay there? The monk said, I would stay there, but there's someone in India who would disapprove. Now it's easy to misunderstand these words, abnegate their responsibility and follow along mostly to not disappoint a teacher or to not go against the ancient teachings of the Buddha. But this is not at all what the tradition is asking of us. You now we chant, the mind of the great sage of India was intimately conveyed from west to east. Intimately conveyed means that each teacher from Shakyamuni all the way to us today served as a mirror and a guide pointing directly to what we already are in essence. This essence or essential nature is what we need to intimately be in alignment with. It has been intimately conveyed, but we have to intimately be in alignment with it, move from it and obey it. This is what Dongshan's Five Ranks are all about. It's a bunch of words, and the words are important, but ultimately what we're talking about is turning inwardly, not to the words, but to what the words are pointing at. Turning towards it, resting in it, trusting it, and then obeying it. Now, sometimes the teachings can seem opaque, out of reach, and maybe even not so pertinent to our lives. But ultimately, the path of the Zen tradition is most relevant as it is putting our dysfunctional relationship with reality right in front of our face. And over time and diligent practice, it can help us dissolve the inner rigidity so we can become more dynamic, more yielding, more integrated. And at that stage, we can naturally be of service to others and manifest in a way that benefits the world. It is the way of the Bodhisattva. 
beyond the is and is not, is happy to return home and sit amidst ashes. In the 10th ox herding picture, you know the ox herding picture we have there by the door, the 10th one, and the ox herding picture, unless in, in case you don't know, is another way to, to depict stages of realization, of deepening. So the tenth one, it says, Barefooted and naked of breast, I mingle with the people of the world. My clothes are ragged and dust-laden, and I am ever blissful. I use no magic to extend my life, now before me, the dead trees become alive. And then, then it says, finally, the tenth picture shows the enlightened Oxford entering the, the town marketplace, doing all the ordinary things that everyone else does. But because of his deep awareness, Everything he, does, everything he does is quite extraordinary. He does not retreat from the world, but shares his enlightened ex existence experience with everyone around him. Not only does he lead fishermongers and innkeepers in the way of the Buddha, but because of his creative energy and the radiance of his life, even withered trees bloom. So there are different sets of stages which are, were created by ancient masters for the purpose of skillfully helping and encouraging students, us, on the path. But we need to know how to skillfully work with them or we can, we can actually become more entangled by them. Because ultimately, ultimately, who is in what stage? Do we know? Does anyone know? Right? You can read Dongshan's Five Ranks. You can look at the, ton, the Ten Ox Herding. You can look at uh, Hakui, no, Hakui, uh, Linji's uh, Four Stages. And you can think that you find yourself in one of those ranks, stops. But it's no more than a thought. Because we move through stages all the time. We have experiences, then karma comes knocking at the door, then we follow along, then we realize that's not where we want to be, then we do something else. It is, it is moment by moment, it is actually everyday practice, which is always the good news. Because no matter what, whether we feel enlightened, whether we feel deluded, it changes. And that's what's most important, it changes. So we need to change with it and we need to allow it to dissolve rather than hold on to it, tell others, frame it. Yeah, but I realized five years ago, 10 days ago, you can't tell me that I haven't. You want to hold on to it? Hold on to it. It is known as an extra thumb. We don't need it.
And ultimately, if you remember from the Sashina opening, I read a quote from uh, Linji. The last line said, make more, no mistakes, worthy Zen practitioners. If you don't find it here and now, you will never find it anywhere. So work with that. Thank you.